Hello, Jack Cavendish here. Wanted to take a few moments to speak with you about something I'm quite passionate about. Lurking fears. If you love Cthulhu and Cairo and want to feel the same dread, terror, and occasional triumph, make sure to check out Lurking Fears when you head out to your next gaming convention. With a wonderful group of demented and wildly gifted storytellers, Lurking Fears is able to weave tales that will haunt your dreams and steal your sanity, which is something I know all too well. While specializing in Call of Cthulhu, Lurking Fears also runs a host of games from a variety of other systems, so there's literally an adventure for your every taste and style. They're committed to running heavy RPG adventures, which are driven by the narrative and, of course, by the player's choices. So do check out their Facebook page and make sure you follow them to find out which gaming conventions they will be at next. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Well, it looks as if Faye is jumping headlong into yet another nightmare scenario. And if I know anything about this Keeper Raz, is that we're likely facing hell on a horse with us under hoof. So I'd best load my weapons and head over to lend a gun, or two, just to keep the odds even. This episode is sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you're not a member yet, you can join our Patreon for as low as $1 per month to support the cast and crew of the Bardic College. Unlock bonus content featuring your favorite players, get exclusive access to shows you can't find anywhere else, and even get a chance to have Raz run a game of your choice. Visit us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to Cthulhu in Cairo. I am Raz, and I am joined by the entire team this evening as we, well, as we close down to two continents. We are now down to uh, Europe and Africa because the team has left North America and they left in a gyroplane, a heliplane, I think I called it in the last episode, but you get the general idea. It's a really modern, it's a funky sort of futuristic thing that they wouldn't have had in 1931, 32, but Kent Allard did because of his gobs of money and he is flying the girls right now over the Atlantic and about to land at London Airport because Heathrow wasn't Heathrow until like 1964. So it's London Airport. That's where we're heading. In Africa... Jack had the falling out with Sektu and the rest of the tribe. He, uh, in pretty no uncertain terms, uh, let them know that they were no longer going to be welcome on his land. But that land is not entirely Jack's to make that final decision. Jack's father, Jameson Cavendish III, does uh, appear from time to time on the estate. A little bit of a recluse, kind of does his own hunting, goes out for days on sometimes on the savannah, patrolling his own property come back in, you know, have a few bourbons, slap a few people around and then move on. Uh, But, you know, you get the general gist. He's one of those kind of guys. And uh, he is going to have that conversation with Jack to find out what it means to the future of the reserve uh, as we go forward. So why don't we start real quick with the landing in in London and then we'll jump to Jack and then we'll come back for where the girls are going to be staying with Vodham once they hook up with the children uh, because they're going to be a day or two before they can get a flight out towards Africa. All right, gang. Good. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. Hurrah, hurrah. Doing wonderful. Yes. Just ducky. Yeah. Ducky as always. The girls are ducky. Jack gave me a thumbs up and then the bird. Excellent. So here we go. Um <laughs> Jack's like, that's a wave. Covering all bases. And, yeah, just make sure we end this is where we're supposed to. The 
the the gyro plane or the gyro the the uh, gyrocopter does come in to Heathrow. It it lands with it's remarkable. It comes swooping in, you know, like a normal plane. A um, little bit of turbulence. You're sitting there. It's making these. It's it's not quiet, right? It's it's loud. It's got multiple engines running on the outside of the plane and the and the the spindle, the big um, center piston that's driving the the chopper blades above you. That's making noise. So this isn't the quietest form of transportation, but it is. It's pretty quick. It's it's moving with speed. And as he comes in and he gets clearance to land. Allard, you know, says, just brace yourselves. There'll be a sudden stop. Uh, but this is the best part. This is where it's where she's really in her element. So, Miss Ross, sir, are you firmly inebriated? Are you ready for this? When you say sudden, like divorce papers sudden or like slap to the face sudden, like what? Your analogies, dear Catherine, are as always colorful. Sort of like <laughs> sudden, that kind of just... This plane, this this was designed to be able to, you know what? It's in, indescribable. Let me just, I'm almost, we're about to bring her in. So, you know, coming in at 180, 200 miles an hour like normal, they're starting to cut the wing flaps back. The plane, that's what normal planes come in at, you know, a couple hundred miles an hour. He's chopped the, he's chopped down on the on the on the wings to start getting some air resistance. So you start feeling that that rattle, you know, as the as the ground is approaching. You're looking out the windows. Uh, everyone, I'm sure, is belted in at this point, right? Belted, um, you know, grasping the arms of my seats firmly. Right. Like, just totally tense. Totally in terror. Belted, hanging on for dear life, saying a quick prayer. My hands are in the air and I'm enjoying it. Of course you are. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Rocket Allard. Ella, do you, let me ask you a question. <laughs> do you run up front and take the, the co-pilot's chair, perhaps? I've been in the co-pilot's chair, I thought. like. Oh, well, then even better. So, you no wonder your hands are in the air. You're you're the one doing the uh, the, the hand pedaling on the gyro, on the gyrocopter part. Hand pedaling. Uh, I was unaware that I was hand pedaling. I will be doing the hand pedaling then. Yeah, so like an egg beater, you're just kind of just going like that real fast. But that's awesome. okay. Egg beater. Wow. Uh, look up old time egg beaters. You'll understand the, the no, analogy. No, no, no. I I'm fully <laughs> grasping. So as the plane comes ripping in, he looks at you and he says, "Well, Miss Walcott, it's time to kill the engines, don't you think?" At your command, sir. And I start to do the thing. He says, on my mark, three, two, kill engine one and two. Kill the engine? (laughs) I woo. (laughs) (laughs) You hear a woo, and then the plane, it just, you feel a drop in power. (laughs) And it kind of, you just, now it's a lot more silent, but you still hear the above your head, but you're not getting the external wind. And if you look out, you know, you're seeing this whole thing that the engines, the props have now come to a stop. And as he's, as he's coming into a glide, he says, she, he says, all right, now that stick down there, that's called the actuator. I need you to pull back on that really hard when I say now, now. And I do it really, really hard. So the blades of the gyro chopper, the helicopter blades begin to tip an angle and the whole thing rocks to a stop. And you, <laughs> you <laughs> this moment, luggage is shifting inside. The piston in the center of the plane is <laughs> moving at like twice the speed, but the blades have angled themselves. And now the plane has come to a dead stop and it's hovering over the runway. And he's like, bringing her down. You can, you can even out now, Miss Walcott. You're doing a wonderful job. Even out. And I've got the stick. Got it. <laughs> and <laughs> he lands it directly where over like on a dime just comes down with a soft touch and he turns around he looks to the back of the plane where the two of you are sitting 
Faye and Catherine's like, well, just say it. That was an experience I surely have never had in my life. It was divine. Of course not. It's one of a kind. Mm-hmm. You should be proud. Oh, I didn't design it. A friend of mine did. But what do you say, Miss Ross? Does he hate you? Exhilarating? Does he hate you, your friend? Does he resent you? Does he want you to die in some way? No. Safest form of travel there is. Really? I need a plastic bag. No, paper bag. I need something. I, I need a receptacle. <laughs> I'm about to reintroduce everyone to Jack Daniels. <laughs> to Mr. Daniels. I'm a little green around the gills. <laughs> yes. All right. So, yeah, he's he parks it. They don't even have to taxi. He goes right to where he wanted to be and brings that sucker down over the top of it. Um, you hear a lot of chatter. Ellie, you can hear it on your headset. He pulls the pin from his he- his headset just pulls out the uh, the the um, connector, and you hear, "My God, man, what the hell do you think you're doing? There's no way that London, we're down. Everything's fine. Signing off. We'll be in to see you soon. Just send out a car, would you? Click. He turns the tower off while they're basically yelling at him because they had no idea that kind of a landing was even possible, let alone anything else. So he was getting all kinds of shit. Ellie, you were hearing it the whole time. He ha- puts his headset back up, hangs it, does all the the you know the post flight checks. Which is basically you, sh- you shut it off and you stand there with your with your the uh, the white scarf that's just flapping and there's no breeze of air anywhere but you can see it's flapping inside somehow he has an <laughs> just this somehow there's a fan somewhere blowing on his scarf <laughs> and he pulls the headset off and Lauren Faye go ahead and make a spot hidden roll Ella you can start coming out and locking lo- unlocking yourself from the three point harness as well got it hey keeper yeah what happens when you crit fail a spot hidden we'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. Well, um, that's okay because I crit successed my spot hidden. Can so that balance got, each other out? We've got two two opposite sides. No, what's probably going to happen is I'm going to see something, you're going to see something, and you're going to indignantly say that I'm, what you saw is correct. I'm more concerned about throwing up on myself or tripping. Okay. So, Catherine, with a crit fail mm-hmm. on your spot hidden, you didn't see anything to throw up in, and you have fled from the the the, the, the body of the, the gyrochopter. Gotcha. And are now enjoying what the, c- the contents of your stomach were less than on the way in, but at least enjoying that they're coming out. Faye, what you saw as Ella's unstrapping herself is that when Allard took off his pilot's headset, the leather hat, the headset, his hair was perfect. Okay. That's that's what that spot hidden was for. Thank you for noticing. It meant a lot to him. Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have told him that myself. I'm just going to close Zencaster right now. You guys have a great rest of your night. Oh. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know, he takes off he takes off the hat or the scarf and lo and behold, the mark of the thule is on his neck. I was about to Same. lose my goddamn mind. But no, it's a, I'm so glad his hair looks great. You know what? Good for, good for him. He's got money. He's hot. Perfect hair. You know what? Meanwhile, Thanks for taking us here. I want to go home. Meanwhile. Catherine's speaking the, the, uh, the language of a, of, a, of a junior aeronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Just the most unladylike puking yeah. sounds. Fabulous. Nothing All right. puddle. Uh, within about 15 minutes, a car does arrive. Um, it's it's definitely one of the Cobalt Cubs vehicles. They they buy similar, you know, these longer sedans that are chauffeur driven. And he gets he helps the ladies get all their luggage off. He's constantly like, oh, excuse me, Mercedes. As he keeps bringing luggage out as you're heaving, <laughs> he walks by, hold your hair for a second as you're finishing one of the one of the dry heaves that no longer is actually producing anything. Um, but he's like, 
better? Okay. And keeps moving. You're embarrassing me in front of the gentleman. What? <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> Come on, Excuse you're a me? doctor. You've been in the war. That doesn't mean... Okay, I was in a field hospital. I wasn't jostled about in some sort of wacky technicolor flying monstrosity. That's a film term. She also didn't have half a bottle of liquor in her when she was performing these field surgeries. (laughs) Damn straight. Caviar. (laughs) Yeah, those eggs probably came up in a rough just... Yeah. You ever see Pond Spawn? Oh. Yeah, that's the one. Please. Late Frog Spawn? Yeah. Nope. Like Pond Scum? There you go. That's the term. Uncle Al's awaits. (laughs) Oh, and I've thrown up again. (laughs) So... (laughs) No. It's not. It's just the vomit. It's just every the time vomit, you go to sleep. <laughs> it's just the vomit. Well, actually, no. You're supposed to be meeting Vadim, I believe. First, we're going to be doing that. Vadim. Oh, has great! I get to introduce Vadim to my uncle. Yes. Fabulous. Vadim knew what time your 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 plane was coming in, and he has the the parcel that you're supposed to be taking care of with Mister Allard's help. And there, another car has been brought around for that purpose. Uh, this is a hearse. So the hearse is following the stretch. The stretch. Uh, Sedan, I mean, limos, I'm sure were, I'm not sure they were called limousines back then, but something of that nature. Uh, and the, uh, yeah, you, you make your way around towards the customs department. And sure enough, standing there, you know, because he knew about what time you're going to be showing up. And he's been here a day roughly and staying in somewhere in local uh, is Vadim. And Vadim, are you, or is uh, Aslan and Anna with you? 100%. Uh, they are not leaving my side. So you, as the team pulls up, ladies, you see uh, Aslan and Anna along with Vadim. So you see his two children, 14-year-old boy, and she's 11, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, an 11-year-old uh, little girl. Vadim, can you, just for the listeners as well, because I'm not sure how we went through that, but it's been a couple of weeks. Why don't, can you describe them real quick for us? They are both, uh, they're both uh, spitting images of their mother. Um, so where I am, uh, uh, you know, have these, this sort of short stocky trait, uh, both of them tend uh, to the, uh, the taller, sort of slender, elegant frame, you might say. Um, as a matter of fact, my son is, you know, already two inches taller than me at this point. The, uh, you know, they, they, they carry her, uh, her, her fair features and, um, and, uh, that makes me very proud of them. They don't, they don't have my ugly mug. So Vadim is, is there ladies you get, and Mr. Allard pulls up Vadim, you've never met Mr. Allard. So this, this, you know, six foot four, six foot three and a half, well-built, you know, gentleman steps out of a car. Uh, there's a driver. He's he's sitting alongside it. Ladies are in the back. The the uh, the chauffeur lets them out of you know on one side, and then he lets some of the ladies out on the other. So let's say Catherine goes out left, Faye and Ella on the right, whatever. Uh, and as he walks around, he says something to them. They they see you, ladies. You see Vadim and his children standing there. What's your reaction? I guess I'm going to run over and probably you know I I think that Vadim probably told us one time like I am not I'm not a hugger. I'm not touchy feely. Uh, that just goes out of Faye's head, and she just kind of go. She just runs up. She's just excited to see him, that he's okay. Um, she hugs him. Vadim very much just awkwardly receives the hug and immediately sort of diffuses the hug to a introductory position. Is like you know, you know, children. I would wish you to meet Miss Faye. You may call her Miss Faye. She and is your son immediately, and your son immediately in Russian looks at you like you mean mother. I have a 20 in Russian. Do I know what that means? I'm, I'm going to say that on the plane ride from Spain, because we, we had that <laughs> night over in Spain, that I would have been Mm-mm. explaining uh, to my children, you know, who we were meeting, that these were business associates of mine. Right. 
and that's what you told them. But when they see her reaction, and they're from the far, e- they're from Russians East, and they see her hug you like that, that's basically foreplay or fornication. Oh to my Russians. god! Okay, with that level. sometimes I mean, when an American woman sees a Russian man, she <laughs> wants to get close and rub. They they cannot resist themselves. Oh. I mean, but no, is, she is close friend. Only. This was just a nice, you know, like you know, like one of those like bro hugs. Like it's like, yo, good to see you. So you chest bumped him. I don't chest bump him. I just do that a quick. Would have been pat. worse. Yeah, that would have been way worse. <laughs> that would have been with as short as I am. That could have been interesting. We are the same. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're short too. Okay. I'm two inches Catherine shorter on the than other you. Hand. The tall yeah. one will Catherine, come you over. Can chest bump me. The tall <laughs> one will come over. And no, you don't want that. I'm still a little pukey. She elegantly offers her hand. No, it'll. It's. Honestly, no. This is how Catherine would say hello after a, a long- bear hug and a noogie. <laughs> just, just put him in a neck brace and no! a noogie. No, it was gonna be something <laughs> more you like son this. Son of a bitch! I'm unloading my bags from the car. Hey, bottom. She's like grabbing her medical bag out of the trunk, like pulling because everything's right. like wedged in there. Yeah, a little peaked. Um. Oh, hello. Um, children. I'm your father's friend. Uh, you can call me Catherine. Nurse Ross doesn't matter to me. We're going to be traveling together. I look at Vadim and I go, you would not believe the amount of vomit that came out of her about 15 minutes ago. Oh, it was impressive. Medically. Kate does nothing small. I I, I believe. Oh, yeah. It was, um, it was pleasant. So these are your kids. It's, hi, like your dad said, I'm, I'm Faye. Um, it's so nice to meet you. Um, Vadim, what are your names? They don't understand you. Great. That's what I was worried about. Vadim, what are your children called? <laughs> Unfortunately, they, their English is, is, is not, not good. Um, the, the, the young girl here, this, this is my daughter, Anna. And, and this is my son, Aslan. We do not speak the filthy language of the decadent West. That's fair. Did he say... Um, then- <laughs> he said that in, in Russian, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> my Russian I'm, I'm- is a 27. Can I roll for that? Yeah, good. How is your Russian at 27? I'm glad that the Russian is returning Good. I did really well in Russia. And so did I. I didn't make it. I got a 37, so I probably picked up on a third of what he said. I heard West. I would, um, in my best Russian, I would say, very nice to meet you two. I think that that's a basic... Are you talking to them? Like, see, when you speak a language poorly and broken, it sounds like you're talking to children. Like, you know... Very nice to meet you. Sound like that at all? Can I help you? No. So Ella, what are you doing? You don't go over and hold the kids, right, and then get a read. You don't want to make sure. No. Oh my god. No. Right now <laughs> she's you... kind of, Right now she's like, hmm. They don't look anything like the doll heads. Oh and my just god. Staring at Aslan's face. Say, thinking that to yourself, right? Not, thinking not that's myself. Okay. Good. 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 Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I keep reassuring the children, you know, they, they are friends. Trust me. These, these are close friends. Believe me. I keep saying that to them in Russian. They actually fall into Portuguese a little bit and go back and forth a couple times between brother and sister. And look back at, and your son looks and goes, anything you say, father. And just kind of stands there looking at the three women. So I approve of that uh, statement. <laughs> that statement is approved by Vadim Gavrilov and Russians. Um, Russians everywhere. So Mr. Allard comes over and he says, um, now he nails his Russian pretty damn good. Like his Russian sounds close to you would call near fluent. So this is not an, a casual Russian speaker. But he walks up and he says, you must be Vadim Gavrilov. I am Ken Allard, sir. It is a pleasure to finally meet your, make your acquaintance. I guess taken slightly aback, but, uh, but Vadim 
he's unflappable, so he says, um, you, you have me a disadvantage. Kent is, um, he's one of the Cobalt Club. He runs, oh my god, like, he runs the Cobalt Club in New York. He flew us here in this spinny contraption. Nice guy. Hmm. Powerful man, influence and money. We we much appreciate your help. Of course. Well, Miss Ross is now a member, and Miss Dawson and El- Miss Walcott are lovely guests to have at the club. So we're always looking for. We're always in- enjoy their company when we hope that they grace our- grace our club's company again soon. You have fine looking children, sir. Thank you. And he s- walks over and he says, "I'm Mr. Allard, young man," and just puts his hand out. Very respectful, very nice. Not talking down to them, not treating them like children. And what is your name, young lady? You know, like that, just respectful. And, you know, your daughter smiles at him and says her name in, in, in Russian, the way her name's supposed to sound, the way it comes off properly. And uh, he asks if, if they're doing well, is there anything that they need? And, and they're kind of just like looking at you like, can we answer him? Is that okay for you right now? Like, is this good? I give them the nod. Okay. So then, yeah, they, he's like, well, if, if your father will allow it before this day is over, I know a place in London that makes a wonderful wonderful ice cream that we'll take you there and make sure that you get some but i know we have some business so young master young lady if you wouldn't mind i need to speak with your father and the, and the ladies for a moment but we won't be long so he walks back over to you Vadim, and he's and he says to the, the women so ladies i guess it's time that we retrieve your friend mr gavrilov do you know which warehouse here they're keeping her in you do yeah i think i would have uh, stayed close by absolutely so he says, all right, well, I will make the arrangements. If you'd like to take the, use this car, uh, that's fine. I can go get her in, in, the, uh, in the hearse and bring her back over here. If you want to get yourselves organized and set up a here, and then we'll take her to wherever, you fe- wherever you're been instructed to bring her, Mr. Gavrilov. I, I am at the loss. I, I, I defer to the ladies. I, I believe they know better than me. All right. Well, if it's a problem, not a problem with your leave, I will go collect at Miss, Miss Hammond. So he gets in the hearse and they take off. So the team's together. If you have anything you want to say, share experience real quick. We can do that. Uh, otherwise, he'll be back in about a half hour with with Aveline collected. So what is the plan for that now? Like, she's made it to England. Yeah, you just have to call the switchboard and let them know that you've arrived, and they'll tell you where to drop, where to bring her. Oh, okay. So let's handle that. Well, you need a phone. I mean, you're in the middle of a run on a part of a runway. Oh. That's not a problem. You can You can go to a phone, you know, once he's collected her. Uh, I make a phone call. Okay, so we I just didn't want to make that like an afterthought or something. Got you. No, got no, no. You, you know, absolutely. You, once she's collected, you'll have ample opportunity to make the call as they drive into London. Because remember, London Airport is pretty, it's not near the center of town. It's it's on the outskirts. It takes you a good 15, 20 minutes to get into London. Anything the team needs to share at this point, or we're just going to just assume the half hour kind of goes by in small talk? Novadam's going to want to hear all about New York. Um... Yeah, you were safe. Everything went well. More or less. It More was, or less. No, nothing happened to us. We're, we're fine. We're in one piece, as you can see. That is a good day. Uh, found out my father's a big fan of interior decorating in secret. Mm, okay. What she's trying to work around in a very subtle way is that there was a secret basement that she never knew about, and there was some very interesting items inside. Mainly a coffin. Thank you, Ella. That was... Perfect. This was related to your father's uh, clandestine uh, evil activities? Yeah, and my my mom. And your mother. Yeah, turns out my uh, mom is in a, buried in a Oh Holy Cemetery in Brooklyn. She's uh, in my basement. She is in this uh, secret room? Yes. And you left her there? 
where was I supposed to put her in my pocket? Oh no no no! I I do not mean to sound uh, you know accusation. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you take that tone back, you Russian bastard. <laughs> no, um, Faye's a little sensitive, um, because she's still. Um, I cannot she, imagine. You know, yeah. Finding finding you know parents, dead parents, you know where where you were not expecting to find them. Yeah, it's um. Hell of an experience. You would think it wouldn't be something that, you know, would normally happen in someone's life, but uh, here we are. Yeah, so anyway. Although on, on scale of things, these experiences that we are all going through, this is almost expected, no? Vodum. You know, it's... Yeah, I, I can't... See, I can't even get mad because he's right. Uh, when it, he's, I mean, it's out of all the things that I thought my father was going to leave behind, I really thought that there was a part of it where I was going to be like, there's going to be some weird shit in that house. There's going to be some weird shit in that house. It's going to make me question my identity again, and then I'm going to just spiral. But you know what? I didn't spiral. I think I held it together pretty well. You are alive. Yes. It's a good day. You're damn right. Now, your kids, they're okay. I mean, they look okay. It's, you know, red-blooded individuals. Yeah. The, the the loss of their mother, um, unfortunately, I have discovered the means of her death. Um, they have uh, they have been hard time, and uh, perhaps uh, you know uh, you you uh, feel uh, abandoned by parents. I have much much I must do. Well, are they have they been cared for? Do you want me to take a look at them? Are they are they well? Catherine, I I, I, uh, I had not thought of that, but uh, yes, I, I, I think I would um, I think I would very much appreciate that. Uh, they, they were um, I would not say go as far as to say cared for, perhaps given situation where they can care for themselves, but they are but children. No, I, I, I'd be happy to once we're settled and as you explain, you know, who I am and what I do, I'd be happy to just make sure that everything's okay. That's very kind. It It's what I do. No problem. Just deflecting the niceness still. It comes back, folks. <laughs> right after I vomit. <laughs> the um, That's usually what sets it off. The So the car pulls back. Allard is there. Um, he has the, the, the large box in the back, you know, obviously the, the entire case and everything inside the, the pine pine structure of uh, an exterior box. And then he says, well, that's done. Um, I guess the next point would be to find out where we need to bring your friend for her final rest. Um, a phone is in order, I believe. Is that not correct? Uh, yes. So believe if we contact the London office of the club, we'll be able to determine where she's supposed to go. Um, Faye, did you ever go to her house? I, I did, but I couldn't tell you the address for the life of me. Big windows. Actually, uh, Catherine, you might be able to if you do a... Uh, to Education is to know, so your education role would do that. Oh, biscuit. All right, let's roll. Yeah, because I was going to say, when we did that, um, Sid came with me to my hotel room, and then I went with him to his... Scandalous. Abode. Shut up. You <laughs> whore. Wow. <laughs> Hussy. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> It, that's the negative on the remembrance of where she lives. Perfect. So much has happened. Of course, you do get a re you do get a, a, the name of a place. Um, they just you know they they make the arrangements. And about 
45 minutes later, you're out parked on a very small side street in, in, you know, on the outskirts of London and another hearse pulls up, four men jump out. They, they don't, they don't even, they just run to the back. They, they nod, they grab the case, put it in the other hearse and they zip away. Because remember, they've been hunted. So the Gustavs are in, they're not really trying to be put together in one spot. They wanted to get her and go. Um, but as they, as the ones pulling away, he says that number is, will remain open for one more week if you should need anything or have any questions. Thank you. And thank you for bringing her home. To you also, Mr. Gavrilov. So they know Gavrilov, they know, you know, we thank you. And they make absolute sure that Vadim knows how much it was important that he finished that for them while they were in Portugal. I apologize to them. I am, I am sorry for your, your brother. I wish I could have done more. It's part of the risk we take, but we must keep moving at this point because until we find out exactly what's going on, we are all in danger. So I will bid you all farewell. And thank you for the, for the offer, but we're not about to put any of you in further danger by reaching out. It, it would have to be, you know, monumental, like world ending. Like she stops herself because they're kind of in a monumental. Mental possible world yeah. ending. But you get the point. Like I, you've, you guys, you've done enough. Could we could we give them one of our radio frequencies just in case they need to get yep. in contact yes, with us? Yes, good plan. Yeah. Look at you. One of our regular check-in times. That's good. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Done. 10 out of Great. 10. All right. Let's go over to before so we're going to then head over to Aloysius Banks house. Oh, great. Ladies, are you continually tired even after a good night's sleep? Do you feel run down in the middle of the afternoon? Does the thought of your children returning from school fill you with dread and visions of Dante's Inferno? Have you found the ring of your husband's death side bell alerting you to his every need now grates on your every nerve? Help is on the way. The answer is convenient at your local supermarket and just waiting to relieve your tensions. Phosphorine wine. That's right. With ample and continual application of this tasty medicinal beverage, Fatigue, depression, and general dissatisfaction will be replaced with zip, zing, and energy that lasts throughout the day. Simply start each morning with a glass of phosphorine wine, a glass with lunch, mid-afternoon, with your evening meal, liberal applications when with family, and watch your cares evaporate in a haze of wellness and good cheer. Here's what Mrs. D. Walbash of Putrid, Ontario had to say about phosphorine wine. I've never felt so alive. It's the damnedest thing. It even makes being a homemaker bearable again. Who needs personal interests or a career when you can cradle this gallon-sized bottle of perfection all day long? And this testimonial from Mr. C.C. Simmons of Scungee, Wyoming. Ever since I purchased phosphorine wine for my wife, she's been an absolute gem around the house. Doesn't even complain or go... Go mad when I go to poker with the guys several times a week. To top it off, our nine-year-old Missy has now become the best under-12 cook in all of Canada County. Thanks, Phosphorine Wine, for giving me my life back. Seem too incredible to be believed? It's not. You, too, can become a liquid squid and enjoy every day with Phosphorine Wine. Phosphorine wine is 45% alcohol by volume, is highly addictive and habit-forming, filled with vitamins and minerals, and an excellent source of cocaine. Look for Phosphorine wine in all your best supermarkets, liquor stores, bodegas, and corner shops. Phosphorine wine, mommy's new little helper.
in the meantime, uh, Jack, why don't we start with you? We'll pick this up with uh, Mr. Cavendish over in. So ba- now over in Africa, <laughs> near the Serengeti. Meanwhile, in the Serengeti, miles away. So, Jack, you've. Uh, it's the following morning. The girls are up. There's everyone's having breakfast. Uh, Kakayangu uh, has not yet returned from the scaring the land for the poachers, but it's a big piece of property. I mean, I know you call it a small reserve at five, you know, five hundred thousand acres. But wow, he was trying not to be. Yes, right. But that's a leg walk. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of property. (laughs) It's it's a big piece of property. But um, you are informed by the uh, the servants, you know, the people there that that work uh, the morning part of the of the of the lodge that uh, your father did return home last night uh, from his, I don't know what they call it in Africa. In Australia, we know it's a walkabout, right? When they go just basically on their own. And he's that kind of guy. He's early 60s, but still very much like an Alex, you know, a quarter main type where does his own thing, kind of keeps his own hours. You know, I haven't seen you in three weeks. Were you looking? You know, that kind of just, I mean, right. you know my routes, but he is, uh, he does come downstairs as you're, you know, finishing your breakfast with the girls, and um, and he sees you, and he's like, "Why did you get home? Was it prepared for you, my boy?" Are you Hello, Father. Good to see right you. Now? It's. <laughs> I came home the other night. I I must have missed you. You were out on safari, I take it. Of course, I was. Beautiful time to hunt. Any luck? Any? Uh, did you get any kudu or planes game? I did well. Bagged a few, but more than that, who are these little rats at my table? Ah, uh, yes, the rats at the table. And then I give them I give them each a wink and a smile. And I say, it's a long story, Father, but suffice to say that a friend of mine in Nepal, some people that I was with, they died tragically, and, and these were their children. And so I decided, rather than to leave them to the elements, that perhaps, like me finding a life here in Kenya, that I would give them a life here in Kenya, and they could benefit from all the wonderful things that we've had and they can learn. I'm going to adopt them and they will be my children. <laughs> well, having a life here on the, on the lodge, that's, that's a beautiful thing you've done, my son. But there is no way on God's earth that you're going to adopt these, these, these women. That's not going to happen. I mean, whatever is mine becomes yours. And hence theirs. You think I worked my life, uh, my whole life, risked your grandfather's fortune to come out here to make a name for ourselves? The Cavendish? To leave it to, to these women from Nepal? What do they know about running a lodge? What do they know about anything? No, 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 Jack. This is, uh, this is, this is not good. We'll have to have more conversation about this. You're not adopting these girls. Puts his cigarette out on the table. And he's like, yes, we, we will have to talk more about this. Quite despicable. Girls, why don't you go ahead and play outside and uh, Uncle Jack will... Find you later. Uncle? That's enough, father. That's enough. When you decided to go on walkabout, sojourn, safari, and all those things, you gave up half of your rights to this place. We run it together now, remember. I'm not your boy. I'm your son. Bringing a, If you had brought a boy home, I could at least understand the need to maybe adopt him and give him a name. Perhaps if you weren't sleeping around all the tribes in Africa, I wouldn't have to have these kind of conversations with you. The day you stop dipping, father, is the day you can judge. Oh, you have, you left a, a hunter and came back thinking, what, you're a man? You want to go a few rounds with me, Jack? No, I'm just the man that my father raised me to be, hard, cold, and calculating. I do love you so much, Daddy. <laughs> Speaking of that, on my way from my, from my uh, bungalow to get here for this coffee! 
He's it's still not there. Um, but the funny thing is, Jack, it's in the cistern. It's on a silver bed. It, the tray is on the table like there is coffee, but no one's come and poured it yet. I, I push over gently and I push it towards him. God has granted you arms. Use them. You have never spoken to me like this before I put your name on the deed. Many things have changed. Many things have changed. Many miles under my feet, Father. Well, as I was coming back here, who do you think's been sitting out all night in front of my bungalow waiting for me to arise? But Shektu from the tribe says that you had a little bit of a run-in with him, and now that you're telling him to take his people off the land. Sektu and I had words, and Sektu seemed to see the wrong side of my argument, and I wasn't quite appreciative to the way he spoke to me and the way he treated me. And until he forgives himself for the poor way he treated me and comes to me and asks for my forgiveness in the proper manner he and his people can leave this land i will not have them here i will not be treated in that foul and unkind way hmm. takes a piece of toast but butters it so what doesn't work for you what isn't right for jack cavendish well we put an end to that and you've made a decision and my boy, I will stick to that decision as well because you're my blood. But when I tell you that I'm not pleased with something, then I need to, what, change the way I feel? Adjust to your ways and your methods? I don't think so, Jack. Are we back on the orphans again? Is this your roundabout way of talking about me adopting orphans? Poor girls that were left Do in the Do you know how many orphans are here in Africa and you go ahead you have to bring two in from, from the Himalayas? What's wrong with you? I happen to be there, father. It happened to, It happened with us. You see these girls shoot. You yourself will swell with pride at how well they shoot. These girls were born to be guides. They will have an amazing life on this reserve. They will lead other people. They will be more than they will ever have been in Nepal. And Jack, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with putting the Cavendish name behind whatever you call them. I mean... It, uh, I won't have them be foundlings. I want them to have roots. Better they life than they would have had back there, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure as well, although I'm probably not as loving as their parents were, but I will do my best. Or yours. Well, I will agree with you there. They bring out his whatever local fish is pulled from the rivers, um, that he would act like a kipper, um, some sort of salted something. And he puts, he puts that on his plate and he, you know, gets another piece of toast and the juice. And he's like, you know, he has an, a, an orange juice or some, you know, juice that that's fresh squeezed. He's like, well, since you've made your decree about our friends, what are you doing about Kakayango? Have you told him? I didn't see him about last night, so I can only assume he's out on the walk. As the conversation progresses, Jack starts pacing like a lion around the room, grabbing tobacco, loading his pipe, unloading his pipe, um, picking things up to drink them, putting them down, clearly agitated. Kakiyangu is fine. Kakiyangu is my brother. He has always been my brother since the day that we were on the teat together. And Mama Yang and Mama Kendra was your mother. Yes, she was. Claimed, but you you forsworn her last night. What will you do with Kakiyangu when he finds out that you've told his mother that she has to basically do a four day walk just to reach the edges of the property? She will always no, be no my mother. Now, unfortunately, she'll be the same mother as the one that walked out on me. Not such an unfamiliar story for me, is it, Father? Two mothers that walk away. Perhaps I'm wow. poisoned to the teat. You've used the word teat twice in the same I did. The same conversation. That's, that, that's teats. Um, so he's, he looks at you and he's like... So it's teetalizing. The, the, young, the younger child, Anya comes running in and she says, 
Uncle Jack. Um, Uncle Jack, there's a there's a, a a spotted dog with long neck. It's a huge. You have to come see it. It's, it's walking right up the road. Oh yes, it sounds great. And I grab a piece of toast and my pipe and and I go through. We can fight later, Father. It's time to go see the giraffe. We're not done. Bye bye now. And I go out the door. Jack, we're gonna speak of this. <laughs> Show me the spotted dog, Anya. Show me the spotted dog. I'm so excited. So she runs you out, and sure enough, there's a giant spotted dog. Um, you know. With, I hate to say this, but is is it a giraffe or yeah, is it a, a hyena? Because one's slightly <laughs> less dangerous. You know, it's a giraffe. Okay. Yeah. The um, I don't think if if a hyena had walked right up towards the lodge, I think one of the other local servants would have been like grabbing a gun and and trying to put it oh, down. Oh yeah, grab the kid and drag the kid away. Yeah. But uh, they 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 have enough common sense for that. But uh, like Sheetha and and Anya are outside, and they're you know they're they're looking at this thing, and the giraffe comes up and it starts grazing. Uh, on some of the the various trees around, you know, by the front of the lodge that help for shade. And um, not long after, a, a, a smaller one comes up with another another parent, and the three of them are kind of just grazing and looking around. And she's like, "Can we touch them? Can we feed them?" Well, they're they're wild, dear. They're, they're not like dogs. We can watch them, but we shouldn't touch them. We need to leave them wild. Our hands will leave smell on them, and then their mother won't want to be near them. But they are beautiful, aren't they? And I kneel down next to him and I see, you see how they reach to the very tops of the trees and they, they grab the sweetest leaves to eat. They're very smart. She's like, I, I've never seen something that's, that, that's, that has a heartbeat that tall. I mean, that's, they're, they're, mag, they're just magnificent. They are, aren't they? They're called giraffes. Giraffes. Giraffes, correct. So they, they take the moment and they do that and they're, they're looking at it. And um, if you hear behind you, do you know why their necks are so long, young ladies? He's got a cup of coffee. He's bringing out, He's got his saucer and cup. And he walks out. He goes, because God hates them. And he twisted their necks and pulled them. <laughs> he goes into this terrible local, local belief that the giraffe is like the last creature God loves. And it's just this, you know, didn't want to fit, barely fit on Noah's Ark. They, they had to cut the roof and rain got in and drowned some of the quails and the other small animals on the fucking ark. And your father is just giving them every reason to be like, what are you? <laughs> I lean into her and I, and I poke her jokingly and I say, pay no attention to the grumpy old man. He just didn't sleep well. They have long necks so they can reach the food that others can't reach. It's God's way of giving them specialness. Puts them closer to the sun so that they get cancer. I've never liked this. Put their heads farther away from you, Father, so they can't hear you babble all day. So he walks off and he goes back to his own bungalow. He's just agitated and angry. And, you know, it's it's just one of those situations. Like, your father came in for a quick cameo and was like, well, please just don't ever bother to come to the main lodge again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How would you girls like to live in, in one of the bungalows far, far away from the main house? We could see all kinds of wild animals and never see the grumpy old man again. Is that your real father? Yes, unfortunately he is. That is my father. He's a wonderful man. He is just, he's old and he's set in his ways. He does care very much and he is sweet in his own way. But hes he was a man that grew up very hard and he didn't have many people that loved him or cared about him. And you know how it is if your parents don't hug you or hold you or tell you they care about you, that sometimes you think that people don't care. And so he hides that by being brush and brask. He will be wonderful to you. It'll just take time. And if he's not, we'll step on his feet. I, I, th we have a saying in in the mountains for the for those older people that no longer you know that don't enjoy the company of the young. What's that? 
break a hip, you prick. Now, something like <laughs> put them in the clay pots. <laughs> put them in the pots. No, but it does come out. To, she says something in uh, Nabalese that comes out to translate, and she translates it for you that they've chosen how to spend their their days, and if their last days are spent in this way, then you know, just they're, they're not going to be long. Like you know, it's yeah. not long days ahead. So it's it's this like metaphor for you know end of life type stuff when some people are in pain or not comfortable or just ornery and you just say well you know i hope you see another sunrise but let's be honest you probably don't have as many as i do so i understand why you're bitter so that kind of thing so it's it's this really down to earth on the mark yeah it's it's that down to earth kind of thing all right yeah so uh later on in the day uh kakayangu does come back um he says he he comes in and he's like you know, he, he didn't stop. You know what? Actually, let's roll for that because I don't want to say he didn't stop. Make me a luck roll, Jack. Let's see if he swung by the tribe first or did he come straight back to the big lodge? 22. I, so that's fine. That's he very, came to the that's lodge first. more than fine. Yeah. Yeah. Came to the lodge first. So he comes to the lodge first and he tells you that they uh, they, they saw some, they, they thought they saw some poacher activity, but probably, you know, they were gone. They never actually shot at anybody, but uh, they destroyed the camp. Uh, they must have been close because they did catch ca- recapture some ivory. But he shows you one of the back of one of the trucks that they were able to pick up some uh, camping stuff, you know, tents and things like that. That so the poachers must have got startled off and run, but they they searched the brush for them. They couldn't find them. That's fine. That's fine. Do you have a moment? Can I can I talk to you for a second? Of course. What is it? I take him off to the side and I say, I I want to be candid with you. We are blood brothers and we were raised together, and I I trust no one like I trust you. I went to the I went to the tribal village last night to see your mother and we had a disagreement and I had a disagreement with Sektu and it went badly and the tribe turned their back on me and in my rage I banned them from the property and I'm s- all of them all of them I'm sad to say that but you know me and my temper I don't back away from anything I just plow through I have a friend like that hits everything head first but I just want you to know, I don't actually mean it. I don't actually want them to go. I just, I want them to want me back. And I can't do that. But at the same time, you're my brother. And I couldn't imagine a world in which you weren't here. You were born to be on this land with me. You are by far the best guide we have, far better than I am. And I pray that as I try to work through this mess, that you will not abandon me. I could not abide such things. There are some old ones in the tribe. Are you, if you do not wish them to go and to, to take away the meat in the game, why, what can we do? If you are, you have to live to your word, I know, but. Talk to, talk to Sektu. See if you can't persuade Sektu to find a cure for my illness. I don't want to talk about it, but Sektu knows. Tell him to promise me he will find a cure and if he promises me he will find a cure, I will stay away and I will let those on the property stay. My illness remains between Sektu and I and your mother, our mother. And the spirits. Mm, that is true. That is very true. Perhaps they will bless me again. They have cursed me for now. I have done something, something bad, apparently, something to lose faith in their eyes. But I will regain it. I am sure of that. I will get cleaned up and I will make the... I will drive out there. I will see what I can do. I, I would feel I would stay, but I would feel sad to think of, of our of our of our blood, of our family having to give up all this game and 
uh, then me having to chase them off, it, it just, I can, it, it, this would break my heart. Perhaps I can do this. There, there are many, there are many bungalows, many larger bungalows. We have a few that are quite a ways into the bush, away from the main house. I can move into the furthest bungalow so that I keep to my word and I keep my face in my honor and they can stay and work at the house and I can remain separated from them until we can sort this out. Would that work? If this is your house, it is your land and your house. Let me, I will speak to Sektu. If that, we will, we will come to a, a, an understanding. I, I grab him by the arm in a, like a brotherly way and I pull him close and I say, it is not my land. It is our land. It is your people's land. It is my family's land. It is the land. My father just happened to find it and hold on to it. Okay, we'll call it there for tonight. Um, great job, everybody. When we catch back next time, be at uh, the Banks Estate in London. I'm going to show everybody what that looks like next time, and we'll describe it to you. Uh, this this should be, um, well, what happens to the Banks Estate should get everybody back on a plane and hopefully heading to Kubalazi, where the teams will meet up and the kids will be together. I think that's sort of the plan we have right now. But uh, stay tuned, because there's going to be a lot more interesting stuff happening next time. But from all of us here at the Barta College, from my players, I can't thank them enough. Guys, you're the best, and we'll talk to everybody later. Like, share, subscribe, please. Don't forget to check out the Patreon for Operation Poltergeist, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.